Hey everybody, I'm Anna McEwen. And now for Bob Switzer with the epic narrative. Well, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everybody, depending on where it is and when it is, wherever, whatever you're doing. I am happy, 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 happy that you're here. All right. So we're in Genesis 34, okay? And here in the epic narrative, as you know, we don't we don't uh, try to do uh, well. We we don't miss a thing, right? But we also don't try to manipulate too much either. We wanna we wanna create levels of curiosity and interaction with the narrative. And of course, I'm constantly going to preach just how good God is and the fact that our our identity is in Him. And his goodness and, and light and love and all and and all and all that and all that. And if you're anywhere close to have listening to have listened to multiple epic narratives, then you know that already. Okay, so this chapter is one of those chapters where, as at some level, I think, well, why 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 are we reading this? No, I mean it's it's tragic, it's dramatic, it's uh it's it's terrible. It's a terrible chapter. As far as the the storyline of it, there's no like there's no there's just oh, the 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 innocent one is innocent. That's it. Everybody else everybody else is not look. They don't look good. They don't look good. And and many times I've heard it used for uh, again uh, you know manipulation and control and 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 some sort of some level of like. Um, d- dominance for somebody somewhere along the line, and we'll get into that. But I just, I, I just, I don't know. Like I look at the chapter and I think, uh, I mean, there's so much drama going on, which is fun for a story, but man, it is, it is just an ugly story. So we're in Genesis 34, and this is the rape of Dinah, or or Dinah. Yeah, I, I'll, we'll call her Dinah. All right, now Dinah is the daughter of Leah. Leah, who was born to Jacob, who went out to visit the women of the land. Remember that Jacob slash Israel and all of his family have moved within sight of the city of Shechem. Shechem is named uh, probably after the guy who built it, which is also the king, and he has a son named Hamer or Hamor or something along that line. And I'm sure in 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 uh, the Middle East it's probably like Hakim and I wouldn't even know what they were saying if they, I wouldn't know that they were saying Hamer. So, anyways, here we go. She's going out to see the women of the of the land. She's going to a common place where where girls would hang out. Now there were several places that that would be. Sometimes if uh, if a lot of the women were, in essence, shepherdesses, shepherds, shepherdesses, she could have gone to places where they would have um, uh, corralled the sheep, places where they would have hung out and and uh, and fed the sheep. She would have gotten to know them. This is just. It's, this is not like a one-day event in that what we're seeing here is that Dinah was somebody who was very social. Now, traditionally, Leah is considered to be a very social um, uh, of the two wives. Leah was the most social and outgoing. Uh, so so that could tie back all the way back to her ideas that the the concept that her eyes were were uh, dim or, or well, something along that, right? What was that phrase? What That just popped into my head. But she was traditionally considered outgoing. And Leah, Dinah was evidently 
just like her. Dinah reminds me of, of, of a character that even though everybody in the family might not be getting along, obviously the two moms, don't, the two wives, the first two wives don't really get along. I don't know how the servants are doing at this point, but everybody's just kind of functioning fine. Dinah would have been one of those characters that just kind of got along with everybody. Everybody liked her. She was bright. She was fun. She she might say something that, that nobody else would say, but she could get away with it because when she said it, it was kind of humorous. It was like, oh, right. Actually, that's funny. I'm glad you can say that. You know, I can't. She had that kind of character, I think. So everybody loved Dinah. They just loved to have her. She was a bright spot in everybody's lives. All these men were hanging out uh, in the family, and Dinah was the princess. She got away with stuff. She got to do what she wanted. She learned, of course, how to be a mom and how to how to cook and how to take care of the guys. But when she took care of them, she would probably also like rib them and and make little comments about how lazy they were or how they should have cooked their own food if they didn't like it, that sort of thing. And the brothers let her get away with it. And the the, the Jacob let her get away with it. it. She was just, that's the type of girl I picture what I picture her. So you, obviously, you can use your imagination to picture what you want. But she goes out to visit the women of the land. Now, uh, I'm guessing this at this particular instance, it was probably uh, around a watering area. Women would often go at certain times of the day. They would all hang out. It was not a... <clears throat> it was not a strict timeline. And men knew that. And the women knew that. And so if they wanted kind of a break from what they were doing, or if they wanted to go hang out with other women... They would go to the watering hole around a certain time of day, and they might hang out at the watering hole for way more than it, way longer than it took to actually get the water. Now, if they had stuff to do, they would get the water and go home. But if they just wanted to hang out, they might, you know, they'd show up with a bucket and then just hang out. If they didn't really have a whole lot of responsibilities, that's what they would do. The other place that they would hang out on a, on a, you know, as a group is is when they would all kind of be in sync for their for their monthly friend. We've covered that before. I don't think that's what was going on here. But that's another area where women would, in essence, talk for anywhere from, from three to four days. They could hang out and really catch up on what every, what every family was going through, what everybody was, was thinking about. And they would, they would probably often devise plans as to how to direct the paths of their husband's hearts. <laughs> But I don't, I mean, I'm not saying that women are controlling. I'm just saying that, you know, wives know that uh, they can influence decisions by uh, being wise. And they are very wise and um, powerful people. And uh, I don't recommend messing with them. So, on with the show. When Shechem, son of Hamar, the Hivite, the ruler was in that area, uh, uh, the ruler of that area, area saw her. He took her and he raped her. So I know I kind of misspoke earlier. I don't know why I did that. I should have I should have known better. But anyway, Shechem is the son of Hamor, the Hivite. And, and Shechem is, uh, the name of the city was named after the son of probably the guy who built it. Now this is, this is crazy. A ruler, Hamor, the Hivite, the ruler of that area. Hivite is the word for serpent. So we don't know. There's there well, yeah, there's lots of ways to take this. 
Okay, I don't mean to, I, these are, some of these might be just be for your curiosity. But it could mean that his character was that of a serpent. That his, he was uh, considered kind of a, uh, you know, a slippery guy. Somebody who was deceptive and uh, might not be in the great, the greatest of character. It could also mean that he was a serpent. Now, I know <laughs> I'm I'm pausing because Bob's looking at me like really, but it's true. There are people who believe that the that the the spiritual beings that infiltrated the creation back at the days of Noah were serpent-like, and that was the bloodline that that was that had brought about the destruction of the planet because they had so corrupted the planet, there was so much sin on the planet that the the sin brought about death, right? The, the death door was open and the wipeout happened. And God, the righteous man of Noah, the righteousness of Noah was that his bloodline was pure and had it been infiltrated by this serpent blood. And I don't, I'm not, <laughs> I'm just telling you what I read. You can you can get curious and jump on that. You really can. It's if nothing else, it's a fun ride. You look at it. I I I had fun. I was riding down. I was like, what? There are entire segments of people who believe they can trace the serpent bloodline through the Bible. So so this could also be an option here. This could also be. So. So Hamar, the, the Hivite, the ruler of the area, okay, the son of, the, of Hamar, sorry, so Shechem Caesar in that area, and he, and he took her and he raped her. Now, what it means by he took her, it means he carried her away. He took her away captive. Um, now, your imagination has to run, right? This is, this is the, again, like... We are done with the good good person in this story. Dinah is is the like the rest of the, this chapter is just horrible. It's just it's just horrible. Uh, so rape always has to do with control, right? It, not all. I mean, it's not the only thing, but it's about it, it. It often is about control. It's about power. It's about authority. It's about uh, belittling people. It's about a, uh, a, a you know this attitude of. Um, I rule. I I am in. I am the one who matters. It is my needs that matter. I want something. I take something, and it's the it's an attitude toward women that says your value is only is only uh, equal to whatever you can do to provide for me and my needs. So so if Dinah has that kind of mindset as to who she is. And what she's designed for, which would not have been unusual in the culture that she grew up in, given the, the culture that her mothers grew up in and the culture that are, you know, the, in which her mothers were married. She would have probably had a mindset that said, I might my body is designed to make babies and make men happy. And that would have been permeated in her uh, in her world. That would have been true for the servants who obviously also had babies with Jacob, but also the servants who were just around the house. Everybody who was a female lived under a culture that did not view them as equal value, equal in value 
or equal partners in the in the in society in the in the development of the world in intelligence it's it's just uh, i know it's rape is just it's just so ugly and it's all of you know it just perpetuates this male dominance this this uh i rule you know especially when a ruler does it a rich ruler a rich young ruler his position would have been would have meant that basically no one would have come to help her so i don't know how he carried her away i don't know if he carried it away through a charm through invitation like like he sees her she's precocious she's funny she's the girls are giggling and laughing and he sees you know he's like wow that's that's the new not the new girl i'm sure you know it's not like this was her first day in the city maybe it was but either way he's attracted to her because it's something different and in that quote attraction which i know is a horrible word to to use for it but in his lust for her Part of it was she probably had a different accent. She had a slightly different look to her. She had uh, some clothes that he hadn't really seen before or wasn't used to seeing. It wasn't from the local mall. She clearly was a foreigner. Um, there were things about her that he was like, I want her. And it just, he basically went and got her. Now, I don't, like I said, I don't know if he invited her in, into to his uh, cart, into his, I don't know if they had chariots, but. I don't know if he invited her up on his horse. I don't know if he said to his servant, go grab her and drag her over here, kicking and screaming. I have no idea. But once he took a hold of her, there would have been very little mental recourse that she could have thought of. We've, I, I know it's it, there are lots of organizations that try and maintain this, this push for our, you know, for our culture to have women know that if you kick and scream and yell, People will come to your aid, or at least that that you know, give the people the option, right? And now it's tragic when someone's being raped and everybody around her is just filming the event because they they don't want to get involved. And that's a whole nother level of of evil that needs to be dealt with. That that can literally only be dealt with through the culture of heaven, which is why it's so important that we understand who we are called to be as sons and daughters of God which is why it's so important that we bring light and hope and love to the world because the evil is crushing the innocent as it will and as it has before and it will continue to do until it only, until everyone's dead because that's the only goal of evil is death. So he carries away and, and he raped her. Like it is just that intense. Uh, I... I don't know. I'm just, I just, to me, it's sad. Now, the next verse is, his heart was drawn to Dinah's daughter, daughter of Jacob. He loved the young woman and spoke tenderly to her. This is, <laughs> this is so bad to me. You rape a woman, and then you think you have the right to tell her how beautiful she is, how, how how much you're in love with her, how much that you know, how satisfied you are with her, how you want to keep her and and uh, treasure her, and you want her to stay in the house, and she'll never have to work another day in her life, and she is somebody who he can't resist, 
and he finds her to be, you know, the, the, the star of all the other women that he's ever been with. He's never done it like that before. He's never felt like that before. Like, to me, this is so full of BS. I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can say the actual word on a podcast. I don't want to get in trouble because I haven't been doing podcasting for very long, just a couple of years. Anyways, this, like, this is a crock full of poop. But it's classic male-dominant mindsets. It's a classic mindset of control and selfishness and pride and arrogance. Like, yes, I can violently uh, rape you. I can carry you away and rape you. But I am so awesome that I think after all that, I can also convince you that I love you and I can't imagine life without you. And then there's the, the secondary tragedy is that there's women who believe this to be true. Like, I will let a man, in essence, rape me. I will let him take me home and do what he wants with me because maybe after all of that, he will look at me and, and be in love with me. And there are there are so many women that do that even in our culture today. I do know, you know, we, we call it, we, we will call, you know, things date rape. But again, usually that means the man was motivated and the date was just, a, you know, his way of getting to the bedroom because literally picking you up and carrying you to the bedroom to him was too violent. Oh, he would never be so rude. He'll at least buy you a burger and take you to a movie first and then rape you. You know, that's, that's, that's just another whole level of twisted insanity when it comes to rape. But he rapes her and then he, then he just piles on the charm. And he tells her how much like, he will do anything to keep her. Please don't ever leave me. Now she she stays. <laughs> Excuse me. She stays. Now most of the most tradition here says that he he also kind of kidnapped her, like she was not going to go anywhere. He just found himself, you know, falling in love. So maybe in his own twisted, you know, Game of Thrones mindset, and that's that, uh, you know, that that show, wow, that pictured this mindset really well. If you haven't seen the game, the Game of Thrones, uh, uh, I I don't know if I'd recommend it just because of the violence and the rape that occurs, but it captures this mindset that if I rape a woman first, it might be the, you know, in essence, that's the first step to relational connection. <laughs> Oh, pathetic. First I take her, throw her in the bed, rape her, and then the next step, you know, second base is I'll talk to her and see if I like her. But he spoke these kind, loving words of commitment and care, and and he kept her. Like I said, now he kept her in luxury, and he kept her wrapped in wonderful clothing, and he, and he showed her his wealth. Maybe she was impressed. Maybe she was like, well, if there's worse places to be imprisoned, there's worse guys to be uh, raped by. And he says he loves me and he wants me to stay, so maybe I should. I don't, I don't know what's going through Dinah's mind at this point. Given the culture she's from, she actually could be thinking, this isn't a ba as bad as everybody you know said it would be. Or, or this worked out. Uh, you know, some honestly, some preachers believe that Dinah went on purpose to to, to seduce men, 
And then they make this whole thing about about women, you know, and their behavior and their responsibility for man's response to their behavior. That's just another crock of of just chock full of poop. Preachers that do that and, and teachers that do that, that say, well, it was Dinah's fault. She was where she shouldn't be. She should have been home. She should have been home with her mom and her sisters, her sister wives or whatever. She should have been doing what she should have been doing and not just hanging out with the women. You see, when you just hang out, you're you're looking for trouble. She brought this trouble on herself. Listen, if you that is never, never true. I don't believe God ever believes that you bring rape upon yourself, ever. He loves innocence. He protects the innocent. And and I do, yeah, I know, I know. Bob's like, well, you open that door. I know, I know. And that, that opens up a whole door, you're right, of conversation of why God lets bad things happen. And I would say, uh, it's it's complicated in that love loves freedom and and he has to allow the results of people's choices to to move forward in his mercy he can stop a lot of those he, he can he can he can lessen the results of those choices and his goodness is always waiting at the end to turn it to turn it around and turn what was bad into something a positive or something useful or something that can bring life rather than take life. But that doesn't mean he lets bad things happen. And quite honestly, a lot of the oral traditions on this, as we get into it, is all it's they are bending over backwards to make this into a good story. And I find that tragic. I just do. Tragic. All right. Uh, so. He imprisons her, maybe. He kidnaps her, definitely. She, he keeps her there, locks her down, says, listen, you can't leave the palace. I've got to go talk to my dad. So Shechem goes to his father, Hamar, and he says, get, this, get me this girl as my wife. So his dad knows what this guy does. He knows, evidently, that he brought home another girl last night. And at the end of the, the day or in the morning, the next day, like, I don't know how long this takes, but he goes to his dad. He's like, I want to marry this one. I want her as part of my harem. I would imagine. I can't imagine this guy's thinking that the, he's going to marry one girl for life. He wants to add her to the, to the tribe. So when Jacob heard that his daughter Dinah had been defiled, his sons were still in the field with their livestock. So he did nothing about it until they came home. Then Shechem's father, Hamar, went out to talk to Jacob. Meanwhile, Jacob's sons had come in from the fields as soon as they heard what had happened, and they were shocked and furious because Shechem had done an outrageous thing to Israel by sleeping with Jacob's daughter, and the thing should not, this thing should not be done. But Hamar said to them, My son Shechem has his heart set on your daughter. Please give, him, give her to him as, your, as his wife. Intermarry with us. Give us your daughters. Take our daughters. For yourselves, you can settle it among us. The land is open to you. Live in it, trade in it, acquire property on it. Uh, and Shechem said to Dinah's father and brothers, let me find favor in your eyes and I will give you whatever you ask. May the price of the bride and the gift that I bring be as great to you as you like. I'll pay you whatever you ask. Only give me this young woman as my wife. So 
we'll just kind of roll through uh, that kind of paragraph for a little bit. Just so you know, all those verses probably took several days. So the father gets word from the son, I want to marry the girl that I just slept with, raped, or whatever, whatever, however he described it. And the father says, well, where is she from? Like, who is she? He's like, well, she uh, she belongs to that tribe, that that family clan that lives outside, uh, you know, uh, Jacob. Jacob, he's she's one of he's she's one of Jacob's daughters. He's like, oh, and again, I don't think the dad is thinking, oh, son, you put you know you've made you part shame upon the family. He's like, all right, well, it's probably about time we worked out some sort of treaty with those guys. They're they're clearly a large family. They they have a ton of influence. In the trade market, they have so many flocks of all kinds of animals, and they're very good at them. And, you know, he's related to his brother's Esau, which is, you know, down south. Uh, so that's another huge family with wealth. And he has like a standing army of, I've heard, up to 400 men. So it's probably a good idea for us to, to make some sort of connection with them, start intermarrying with them. So he kind of talks to his advisors. They work out a deal. Uh, not a deal. I shouldn't say they worked out a deal. They worked out some plans as to what they might offer in order to really pull this clan in. In other words, bring them probably closer to the city, um, maybe even give them some property in the city because they're thinking, uh, you know, this is expensive, right? Already the rapes already happened, so she could already be pregnant. So he's thinking we gotta we gotta we gotta make this a big juicy offer so that they they buy it. So let's, let's find them some good property that they can have here in the city. Let's make, uh, let's, you know, maybe tax breaks if you want to call it that. Uh, anyways, there's ways to work out deals. So I think he probably spends a day putting together a good plan to not just get his, his, you know, his son, uh, another wife or a new wife or whatever. He also was working on a plan to bring about some sort of benefit to the city and maybe expand into something that would actually, you know, I don't know, of course, expand your size, which expands your influence, which might make us, you know, make him a more powerful ruler. So there's all kinds of layers in this paragraph. So, so um, Jacob finds out what, it, what had happened. I don't know how he found out. I don't know if he doesn't find out until he gets a, a servant from probably from from Shechem's dad, Hamar probably sends something and you know says, "Hey, the king would like to come out and talk to you about obtaining your daughter to be his son's wife." And maybe at that point Jacob finds out, "Oh, that's why she didn't come home." Maybe he finds out through the rumor mill, the girls uh, you know that saw what happened tell the shepherds who saw what happened, and eventually this, the, the story gets back to Jacob. Dinah was taken by the prince to the palace, and she, we, you know, he, he took her, like he captured her. He spirited her away. It wasn't something that she was like wandering through the palace and they happened to see each other. So he, he might have already heard that she was, in essence, raped or, or has slept with the prince. So he's he's waiting, and that's why there's a, there's a, I'm thinking at least a day of activity going on here. Uh, Hamar is trying to figure out what he can offer Jacob. Jacob's just waiting. He's kind of settling in his heart. This this is a horrible thing. 
Meanwhile, okay, the, uh, then Shechem's father, Hamar, he, so Hamar goes out to visit, with, talk with Jacob. The first round of negotiation has started. Then, then Hamar leaves. Jacob's sons come home from the field as soon as they found out what happened. So Jacob probably sent word out to them. Hey, you need to come home. Something's happened to Dinah. She was, she's, she was raped, and the king w would like us to work out a deal for her to become Ham uh, Shechem's uh, wife. So they come home furious when they, when they heard what had happened. It's not like they just heard a rumor. They probably heard the initial proposal. And for them, this is beyond comprehension. There is no way that they're going to let this stand. They probably uh, weren't all together, but as they came together, as they met each other on the roads, and they kind of, you know, saw they they worked themselves up. Shechem had done an outrageous thing to them and to their nation. When they say an outrageous thing to to Israel, they're looking at the long term impact on their people, and it was very important to them that their people stay, in essence, within their people. They didn't want they didn't want to just be out having babies and, and marrying. They wanted to control who saw who, and they wanted to control who married who. So this thing, you know, this thing, this rape should not be done. So verse 8, Hamar basically comes back to them. Now all the brothers are, are, you know, in the tent. They're all sitting in the circle. And again, this would not have been like coming in the boardroom, sit down, let's deal with stuff. This would have been... There would have been food involved, some level of hospitality, uh, some beverages, servants, etc. Finally, the, the main thing that needs to be said is said. Hamar says, my son Shechem has his heart set on your daughter. Please give her to him as his wife. So he, he frames it in the way he wants to frame it. Listen, my son is in love. Your daughter is amazing, and and he would like to marry her. But more than that, it's more than just a one-off thing. I'm offering an opportunity to double the size of influence you have or more by being a, a partner, coming into partnership with our family, with our clan. Now, one of the things that makes, you know, that, that goes back to that idea of the, these guys being uh, somehow connected to serpent blood, could, could <laughs> they look at the response of the brothers by saying, this is a terrible thing because we know that their blood is not righteous blood. We know that, they've, that there's, a, there's a line that they've brought into their bloodstream that is not pure. It's not righteous blood. I don't know that to be true, but I just want you to know that that's one of these one of those ideas in this story that some people see when they read it. So he's like, intermarry with us, give us your daughters, take our daughters for yourselves. And they're just listening. And they just probably nodded and they they basically were like, all right, you know, we'll consider it. And the, maybe maybe at that point, Hamar is looking around going, all right, all right, uh, I don't think, let me, let me sweeten the deal a little bit more. All right, listen, you can settle here. The land will be open to you. Live in it, trade in it, and buy property in it. 
Now, that's more. they've already done that, right? Uh, Jacob already bought the property they live on. They already used the property to sustain their, their flocks. What he's saying is, we will make it easy for you to purchase uh, land from the people that, that are part of our clan. We will, we will you know, work out trade deals. We will give you apartments in the city. We will, we will give you access to watering holes and, and things that are owned by other people. We'll make your life easier if you let this happen. So then he leaves. And he comes back another time, probably in a day or two. And they have a little meal and they hang out for a little while. And he says to the, the brothers, he says, let me find favor in your eyes and I will give you whatever you ask. Make the price of the bride and the gift I, I am to bring as great as you like. I'll pay whatever you ask. Only give me the young woman as my wife. So this next visit Coming in verse 11 is Shechem comes to the brothers, not just Hamar. The man who, who actually raped his, the sister is now sitting in the circle with the brothers. And he's making a plea. He's making a plea. Please let me marry your daughter. So the brothers and Jacob had a plan this whole time, right? It says that they, uh, they spoke. Uh, the next verse, verse 13, because their sister Dinah had been defiled, Jacob's sons replied deceitfully as they spoke to Shechem and, the, and his father Hamar. They spoke deceitfully the whole time. They had a plan the whole time. They probably worked on this plan on their way in from the fields days earlier. And for them, they wanted to just draw out of, of Hamar and now Shechem what like everything they possibly could. And I'm sure Hamar and Shechem felt the same way. They were like, we know what's going on. We know that they're trying to draw out of us everything they can. So they offered them everything. And they speak deceitfully because they're they're you know they they're lying about the fact they don't have a plan. They're lying about the fact that they're they actually want this to happen. They're they're de- they're just all the way down they're being deceitful. So in the end, they dropped the one thing that they that they had worked out. They said, uh, 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 "We will enter into an agreement with you on one condition only." So this is, I'm sure, the the, the prince, right? Shechem and Hamar probably light up at this one condition, well, only one condition. This is awesome that you become like us by circumcising all your males. Then we will give you our daughters and take our daughter, your daughters. We will settle among you. We will become one people with you. But if you will not agree to be circumcised, then we will take our sister and go. So, you know, again, circumcision is not a brand new thing in the world. It's been around. Various cultures have it. Various um, gods uh, demanded it for their worshipers. <clears throat> and obviously God demand, uh, asked that as a sign, a symbol of the covenant uh, with Abraham. So, so this wasn't like a new thing in their in their in their world. It might have been a new thing for their city, but it wasn't a new thing in their world. And they agree to it, like like immediately. The 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 like uh, like uh, the the language. Sorry, the the language here, the vocabulary is like when they hear it, the proposal seemed good to Hamar and, the, and his son Shechem. And the young man, who was the most honored of his family, in other words Shechem, lost no time in doing what they said. He was delighted with Jacob's daughter. So he literally, the, the, the language there makes it sound like he literally whips it out and gets circumcised in the moment. That's how 
That's how committed he is to his love for Dinah. So then they both go back to the city. They sell it to the elders. They go through all the opportunities that it will be available. And all the men, verse 24, all the men who went out of the city gate agreed with Hamar and his son Shechem, and every male of the city was circumcised. What that means is literally there was a lineup at the gate. If you wanted to come out of the city, you had to be circumcised. If you had to come into the city, you had to be circumcised. And again, this wasn't necessarily a mandate. This was a voted, this was voted in by the by the elders and by the leaders of the clans of the city. But it doesn't necessarily mean every man did it. It means if you wanted to go in and out of the city, you had to be circumcised. That was the price you had to pay. And in order to pay that price, you were also saying, we are open to do more trade, etc., both sons and daughters with these with this other tribe. So all this is set up. All the men, no one could leave the city unless they made this payment, which again means some men were just were basically quarantined themselves and was like, nope, not going to happen. And I say that because of what happens later. Uh, so we are rolling along here. Uh, verse 24 was that, verse 25, three days later, while, while all of them were still in pain, two of Jacob's sons, Simon and Levi, Dinah's brothers took their swords and attacked the unsuspecting city, killing every male. They put Hamar and his son Shechem to the sword and took Dinah from Shechem's house and left. The sons of Jacob came upon the dead bodies and looted the cities where the sister had been defiled. They seized the flocks, the herds, the donkeys, and everything <clears throat> excuse me, else that they had theirs in the city and out of the fields. And they carried off all the wealth and the women and the children, making the plunder of everything in the houses. Now, all of that sounds so all-encompassing, but I just want to tell you, in two chapters, Shechem, uh, the, the city of Shechem is still thriving. It's still viable. There's still people going in and out of it. So as much as this sounds as it's all-encompassing, there is room or leeway within the languages, within the vocabulary, within the translation of the vocabulary, that it doesn't mean every single thing, and it doesn't mean every single piece of, of wealth, and it doesn't mean every single servant and, and you know male, uh, male and female servant and every single wife was was taken. I just want to throw that out. So, so as we go through this, the two sons, <coughs> I'm very sorry, two of the sons decide to up the payment, right? They're sitting at home. It's three days later. Everybody got circumcised, and in their head, that, they were thinking, that was not the plan. The plan was we were going to get Dinah. And if we don't go go get her now, then we may end up in an agreement that none of us want to, want to uh, fulfill. They had no intention of fulfilling the marriage. Their only intention was, was to take Diana, Diana back and not hang out with that city. I got to take a drink. Hang on. <clears throat> All right. Sorry about that. All the families... We're going to be impacted by this. So the other brothers, two two brothers, two brothers decide to go in and kill all the men. And again, the language here doesn't necessarily specifically mean every single man. It can, and I'm not taking that away, but it could also mean like it's a very generic term. Like the like it just is, as far as man goes. It could also mean one man. It could mean a, a ruler. It could mean a lesser ruler. It could mean uh, a, a smaller group of men. 
it, there's just options here. And given the fact that this city isn't completely destitute and disappears off the face of the map, I don't think it means the all men that we see it when we read it in English. Now, the men who were recovering probably were, in essence, I would call it like in group group therapy. They all got circumcised at the city gate, which I'm sure, you know, taking out the trash that day had to be horrible. <laughs> and Bob's like, no, I'm sorry. Isn't that funny? That's a little funny. I mean, you know, the doctors show up. And what do they have for knives? They have, did they have a really sharp scalpel? Probably not. Do they have a sharp knife? Probably a pretty sharp knife. And you're just standing there in your robe and you hike up hike up your 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 garment. Someone takes a hold of your apparatus, stretches out the extra, snip snip. Have a nice day. Here's here's a piece of cloth. Wrap it up. You can go sit over there. And I think wherever they went to sit was probably a group home or not group home like a like a lounge. And the men laid out on pillows, and they kept the gauze where it needed to be, and they talked, and they were in pain. And as you know, men tend to be kind of wimps when it comes to pain. So after three days, the brothers figure, we can take advantage of them. So they do. And I think they went into a, you know one of these sitting areas, recovery zones, and they kill all the men in there. That was probably where all the elders sat. Because, you know, they had to continue to do business. They couldn't be home convalescing. They had to be in a place where they could still do business. <clears throat> and specifically, of course, they were after Hamar. <clears throat> Man, I'm having a tough time finishing this up. They were after Hamar and Shechem. So they, they kill all that they need to kill. They get into the palace. They find Dinah. And they pick her up. It's the same concept as how she got in there. They carry her back home with them. They take everything of value. They take all the families. They turn all the families into slaves for their own family. There's no way that God was brought into this plan. There's no way God was brought into these negotiations. This is not a plan that comes from heaven. Nothing that the None of the behavior of anybody but Diana is something that you could look at and say this was this was God. This was this was God. Simon and Levi are incredible deceivers, right? Unrepentant killers. They Jacob says to them, "Listen, you have brought trouble on me by making me obnoxious to the Canaanites and the Perizzites, the people living in this land. We are few in number, and if they join forces and attack me, I and my household will be destroyed." And they were like, well, then you should have treated our sister, should, or should he have treated our sister like a prostitute? In other words, they, they, they were like, they're playing, they're playing the victim game. They're like, hey, it's not our fault we killed all these men and took all these slaves and, and all this plunder. That's not our fault. They treated Dinah like a, like a prostitute. That's, that's unforgivable. This honestly sounds a, something a lot. This sounds a lot like something Laban would have done. Like it makes me wonder: Did they pick up some, we'll call it business practices from Laban? The whole deceptive negotiation thing that happened over a number of days. The concept of waiting till you know, all the leadership was in pain. 
Like this to me speaks of somebody who is constantly deceiving, which is something that Laban would have been and a culture that they would have been aware of. And remember, the other sons, they didn't, they didn't do the killing, but they did the plundering. They went in and they, they went to the elders' homes. I think they just killed all the elders of the, and leaders of the city, but, but it could be everybody. They went into the homes. They took slaves. They took plunder. They took wives. They brought them all home, and they were like, You're, you know, basically, you now work for us. And in some crazy way, right, the women of the day just thought, well, this is, this is who I work for now. Another man has taken control of my life, and I'm just going to work with it. I'm going to figure out life now that I'm part of this much, you know, this huge clan out in the out in the uh, the plains or out in the fields. It's it's a, it's tragic. This whole chapter is tragic. This story is horrible. I don't like it. It was not a fun day to do it to do the epic narrative, but it is in the Bible. And there's things that we can see. Things we can learn from. How to treat people how to be, you know, careful because what we do comes is it has ramifications. Attitudes of of selfishness, of control, attitudes of um oh what's that word I want? Um oh, there's all kinds of bad things. This the, all of that's here. And at some level I appreciate the fact that the Bible puts it in there for us to see. Now, there are people who literally, man, they do like academic gymnastics and they make the brothers out to be righteous brothers. They, they are, they are, everything they did was pure. Some of the Jewish oral traditions is like, none of this was unrighteous. This all had to be planned by God. This all had to be something that was, that was uh, acceptable to God because the brothers, the, the 12, you know, the 12 fathers of the 12 tribes of Israel could never do something evil or or you know they couldn't murder they couldn't they couldn't deceive this was all good and somehow god was okay with it and i go back to the beginning as we often do and i say nope it can't come from there it can't come from that place of light because this is dark and i look at jesus and i said it can't come from him because it's dark this is not behavior that god would have approved of and that's honestly where I'm going to leave it today. There's my, my heart is just heavy. I just don't like this story. But I hope we picked up something that we can use from it. And maybe an awareness of a culture that maybe we've become tolerant of that we need to bring light to. We need to bring hope. We need to bring life to places where people's care, uh, uh, where their spirits have been darkened and dampened and in a, in a, some attempt controlled to the point of near death. We need to bring life and hope to them, not more tragedy. Thank you very much for coming out to the Epic Narrative today. Have yourself a fabulous one. Don't go anywhere. We've got Bob Thoughts. All right. As, as you know, if you've listened to the episode and you're all the way to the Bob Thoughts, you know that this was just kind of an icky story. I just don't like it. I don't like it. And it actually has implications further on in the story as, as this little village slash city comes up several more times. And the impact of what these uh, of the rape and the brother's response to that rape, you know, it, it, it has ramifications for years to come. And I, I can understand why. 
I can. And I can also understand why, you know, um, brothers can be that aggressive when it comes to the protection of their sister, especially the only sister, and one that probably was so loved within the family uh, for her precociousness and her um, energetic interactions and her ability to say things that everybody else was thinking but no one else would dare say, but she could say, get away with it because of who she was. She was Dinah or Diana, depending on who, how you want to say it. But I was also thinking of, of the culture. Today's thoughts, I guess, are more around the culture of the subservient woman mindset rather than one of, of equal value and of uh, potential, equal potential, equal image of God uh, within, within them. And I think a lot of churches perpetuate that mindset. I uh, man, if you're paying any attention, any attention, you know that there are large swaths of mega influential churches that are dealing with the misconduct of their leadership uh, among women or toward women. You have people that are that have been arrested over like literally raping and. And others have lost their jobs because of um, adultery and and inappropriate relational connections and and emotional uh, um, uh, affairs. And there's just it, it. It's sad. It's really sad. And I, I forget. Um, there's one whole denomination that that seemed to perpetuate it so much. Uh, I think it was a yeah the Southern Baptist denomination. They, that their internal investigation they said turned up seven hundred pastors that had that had behaved inappropriately toward women. I'm not. I mean, then you have the whole Catholic Church debacle, right? For hundreds of years they've maintained this attitude toward women and then you know when they i think it was the late 80s early 90s like it, they finally started letting some some of that information out like for years not just toward women but toward toward young boys like the it just is a horrible culture of high a hierarchical culture that destroys the ability of women to truly understand the influence and authority that they that they have in Christ that they have from heaven's perspective and the patriarchal hierarchical mindset has just it's it's far too in uh deep and rooted in the governmental system of church and in the theology of most churches that it just it's just still it's going to linger for a long time we just really have to what i would call like lean in against it we have to call out when you hear messages about um, about that whole like emotional thing, like oh well, women are emotional, so that's why they're not in charge. Like that's just not right. It's just not right. Like it's it's not even signed. You can't you can't hold that position. You can't hold that position and and call yourself even academically uh, true. Let I mean, you have to be complete ignorance. To maintain that position, and then you say, "Well, that's what the Bible says. That's what the Bible says." It doesn't. It doesn't. And we cover stuff like this all the time on the Epic Narrative. You know that, but 
but it still permeates. We have to call people out. We have to at least send a text message or an email to people who teach this, or if a book is being promoted or even taught and it comes out in the book and you say, well, yeah, we don't, we don't agree with that part, but, but what, then why are we teaching it? Why are we even letting the concepts be rolled around rather than taking the concept out and saying, look at how, look at how wrong this is. Look at how this perpetuates the mindset that there are certain genders that are usable by other gender genders for whatever purposes they might need emotional purposes physical purposes uh servant purposes it's it's a scary place and unfortunately i I literally still know you know women who are impacted by this but a lot of a lot of families have been impacted by this mindset you know, the church generally has been asking the question, like, where are all the people? Why aren't they coming? It's stuff like this. It's the, your attitude. It's, it's a problem. It's a problem because it's not true. And I think, I think this next round of people in the 30s, 20s, and, and teens, they're looking at it at this attitude toward, toward uh, women, and they're saying, no, we don't have to put ourselves in that position anymore. And the men in that age groups are saying, I'm not going to put my daughter under that kind of teaching. I'm not going to put my wife under that kind of teaching. And then, and then it becomes, you know, a mess because now you're hurting relationships and, and the church doesn't know what to do except yell, well, you're wrong and God's right and follow me. And, and it just continues. The hierarchical system will come down. I believe it is coming down. But the more you fight it, the more it's going to hurt. And I just want to encourage you, if you're part of that system, start dismantling it. It's not easy, but just start bringing it down. Start breaking it down. And if, and if you hear these kind of things being taught and preached, do what you can to try and bring it down, to try and break it down, to try and bring about a more, well, not more, bring about a kingdom mindset toward all people, men, women, and children. All right. Hey, I love you guys. Look forward to talking to you again next week on The Epic Narrative. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast on any platform you use. You can also reach out to Bob for questions or booking at thebobswitzer.com or email him at thebobswitzer at gmail.com. See you next week, guys.